Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. Let us pray. When I say let us pray, we wonder what that means. We open, we focus, we listen. Be in our prayers. Be in our body. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be trapped in your love. Amen. I'm not sure if this sermon will work for you. If you're someone who likes to learn and it's a little bit heady, you might like it. If you're all about the heart and not the head, that might seem a little bit strange. But when this lectionary text came up this week, I couldn't avoid it. The lectionary text is picked and it's read ecumenically. So in the Catholic Church, the Presbyterian, the Methodist, the United Churches, this is the text that will be read for those churches that use the lectionary. And when it came up, I thought to myself, should I do it or should I not? And when I read the beginning of the text where the disciples are peeking through the bushes to look at Jesus and watching him pray, and when he comes out behind the bushes and they say, will you teach us to pray? I thought to myself, this indeed is a curious, beautiful text. And what unfolds is the Lord's Prayer, which I'll speak about in a moment. But really the question for me is, and I won't get you to do this, but I would love you to think about if someone, say your grandchild or a neighbor said to you, go to church, what's prayer? How would you answer what is prayer? Prayer for me is an openness. It's not about the right words. I love to hear them sung. I like to sing them each week. I even like to say the Lord's Prayer. In many ways, prayer is ritual. And it's all about our breath, all about our opening, all about our attention. Uh, Franciscan priest uh, Richard Rohr would say this. This is a tough line to get. Prayer is conscious, loving union with God. Prayer is conscious, loving union with God. And Lamont, who's written a book about prayer, says there's basically three kinds of prayer we have. Help. Help me find a parking spot. We say something we need. Thanks. Thank gosh I found one. Wow. This is awesome. So she says there's three kinds of prayers. Help, thanks, and wow. And Karl Barth, who's an Orthodox theologian, uses this word to say prayer is revolutionary. The clasp of hands in prayer is the beginning of the uprising against the order of the world. So as you see in all these different theologians, they have different takes on what prayer is, and you, as a theologian, talk of God, what would you say if someone said to you, what is prayer? A few years ago, a congregant gave me this beautiful little book called The Prayer of the Cosmos, Reflection on the Original Words of Jesus' Sayings. And I read the book, and I love it, and I read it again, because I love to look at what did Jesus really say? What did he really mean? And this book and that prayer you just heard point us in that direction. The scholar in this book, Neil Douglas Clotes, says that the Aramaic word for prayer, and you've heard me say it a few times, is trapped. If you take Aramaic word prayer, it means to be trapped. 
It's not actually the best way to think about prayer. You're going to be trapped. But in this sense, what they're saying with the word trap, when you're prayer, praying, you're trapped in a focus and an attention on the goodness of God. And so when you gather to pray, you're trapped for a moment in time in the goodness of God. It's about the changing of your focus from you to God. It's being open to a movement of your heart and your mind. It's being trapped in that moment. And maybe it's only a fleeting moment where you sense there is something greater than you. The Lord's Prayer, as I said, is only in two of the Gospels, Matthew and Luke. And most scholars will say Jesus probably didn't even say it. hate to throw that at you right now, first thing in the morning on a beautiful day in uh, July. But if you're familiar with the Jesus scholarship that has taken the words of Jesus and the scholars gather in the Jesus seminar to determine, Jesus likely say it, many will say he likely did not. And in fact, the prayer probably came after Jesus had died. Now, don't get too fussed about it, because my favorite line of scripture in Matthew's gospel, the Great Commissioning, probably was written by the church and not spoken by Jesus. And I don't give a darn, I still love it. Lo, I will be with you always to the close of the age. Lo, I will be with you always to the close of the age. Jesus probably didn't say it, but everything that Jesus said and did in the Gospels reflects that call to presence. You see, the whole of the Gospels are a collection of what the theologians say about Jesus. And they believe that this, this document, the Lord's Prayer in these two Gospels, comes from a source called Q. It's missing. If you ever find it, you'll be a very rich person. It's somewhere, the Dead sea, in like the Dead Sea Scrolls, buried in a cave somewhere. And what they know is that Matthew and Luke had that quell, this source, to write their prayer. And so they know because the words are almost the same in them. And so the prayer comes probably not from Jesus' lips, but is buried in a document somewhere in Israel. But given all of that scholarly gobbledygook, what do you say about this prayer? And what I believe about this prayer is it is meant to be a unifier. I don't know if you've ever been to another church, another denomination, and you're part of what's going on in the service, and it might get to that point, and maybe that's the only point you ever connect with what's going on in that service. It is often the Lord's Prayer. I remember being in Argentina, and I was sitting on, in, the, in the backyard of the VBO where I was staying at, and I heard the clanging of bells, and I thought, what's going on? It's Friday, and I realized it was Good Friday. So I, I followed my ears to the church, and I went into this Catholic church, and through the entire service of Spanish, it was only at the Lord's Prayer where I could hear and follow in that cadence, the unity of my language to theirs in that experience. If you've ever heard the Lord's Prayer in another language, you can sometimes pick up just enough words to let you know that you're in the Lord's Prayer. So I'm going to take this line by line. It won't be long, don't worry. You're probably about 15 minutes left to go. Our Father is the first line. Now, this is really not about genitals or not about God being a guy in the sky, but it's really the translation is our, our Dada, Abba, our Dada. And this phrase, our Dada, or our Mama, a lot of women will say that word Father is not a word I can use. They might use spirit or friend or shepherd. But the beginning, our father, our mother, our spirit, is really not about the biology, but about the intimacy. And so here, Jesus, or the words of Jesus, are really saying, my beloved. My beloved is who God is. And it's really about that intimacy. 
And I don't know, sometimes our intimacy is beyond our intellect. I remember when my, uh, my dad died a number of years ago. <clears throat> I, uh, I landed on a plane in Toronto and I went to the uh, hospital. I came into the room, my mother was there and she was rubbing my father's elbow. He had died four hours earlier. She was rubbing his elbow and she said, I'm keeping him warm for you. And I touched that warm spot. And for whatever reason, what happened as I was touching the warm spot on my dad's elbow, the room was emptied and it was just me and my dad. And I don't know where it came from, but out of me came this word, daddy, daddy, daddy. I never in my life had ever called him daddy, unless I was a child. But there was an intimacy in that relationship. And that's the our father, our mother talks about an intimacy that's even beyond our own intellect. And so that phrase is about a beloved. The next line is, who art in heaven? Now, that's not God's postal code. Um, God is actually everywhere. The Aramaic would say, God, Dada, Mama, who is everywhere. Be very wary of people who try to limit God or think God's in their back pocket or say God is here but not there because God is not limited. In the book of Exodus, when Moses says, what's your name? God's answer is this, I am who I am. I'll be who I'll be. Utter complete freedom is God. God is everywhere beyond our limitations. That's why some of us will say to ourselves, I'm a panentheist. God is both beyond me and within me. Pan everywhere. That's who God is. Third line, hallowed be your name. It's not Howard be your name. Hallowed be your name. It means holy. Holy is your name. And the writers were signed trying to say, when you say God's name in the Jewish community, they don't say that God's name. It is silence. But when you say God's name, may it be said in a way that is holy. So often God's name, God's name is used to bless weapons or incite violence or an abuse of political language. But this is really saying, hallowed be your names, is saying, keep God's name sacred. Keep God's name sacred. Now, that's so confusing for us these days. One of my mentors, who since died, Garth Mundell, would say we need to have a 100-year moratorium on the word God because everybody in this room probably has a different understanding of that word God. And so often in our public sphere, God is invoked in ways that certainly is not the God who I worship. And Garth was saying if we just could stop talking about that name God, we might come to a fuller, newer understanding. So often this is true when God's name is used in ways that is not part of that loving sense. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in the universe. This is essentially got Jesus' job description. Jesus was handed a job description by God. God says, here's your job description. He opens the envelope. He reads it. Preach, teach, talk about what it looks like when I'm in charge, the kingdom of God. And so the imagery to the parables and the stories of all of Jesus was, was saying to people, this is what it looks like when we get it right. This is what it looks like when all people are fed. This is what it looks like when all people are loved. That sense of unity is what Jesus was saying. In the Aramaic, it would be something like this. Let your counsel come. Let your understanding come. And in all of this, there's this yearning for the vision of God to come on earth as it is in heaven, which is the next line. Thy will be done earth as it is in heaven. You know, so many people think a religion is about an escape plan. 
get me out of here to my lofty seat in the sky. And indeed, all of Jesus' ministry was focused on this world, this place, the things we've got to do for all of us to bring heaven to earth is the unity that is called for, where peace and paradise and unity is here now on earth. Give us this day your daily bread. Sometimes that's very literal, as you heard from Anne a few moments ago, about people who are hungry who need literally food. But the daily bread for the Aramaic people was a sense of saying this, God, give me understanding for my day. Give me understanding for my day. And anybody who knows anything about bread knows that it's active and alive and it's consciousness and it's generative. And so give us this day our daily bread and say, give me understanding for this day. Help me to understand more widely and more fully. The line that drives most people crazy is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. C.S. Lewis says, everyone thinks forgiveness is a great idea until they actually have something to forgive. So often that is true. We're all about forgiveness until we're the one that has to give it. There's great power around unforgiving. There's a lot of rented space in our head and heart when we don't forgive. And it is indeed about seeking that way of life that is forgiveness. Just last week, a friend uh, confessed to me about something they had done to me. And through her tears and through that conversation, she acknowledged the error that she had made. And she asked for forgiveness. And I said, I forgive you. And I want to work on this so that we can repair this. So often forgiveness is that kind of work. It's that repair. It's that willingness to say, this was a mistake. How might we fix this? How might we have responsibility for it? Forgiveness is not forgive and forget. Forgiveness is forgive and remember. To remember. To remember one to the other in the brokenness of that relationship. In the Aramaic, forgiveness is all about this word, mending. Mending. I love that word. Because each and every one of us makes mistakes, and each of one of us are invited to mend those mistakes so that relationships can be reconciled as we talk about and try to live truth and reconciliation. It's about mending our ways so we move together into the future. Lead us not into temptation. Assume some, sometimes that you hear that phrase as though God's the one that's... Don't lead us into temptation as though God would do that. God would never lead us into temptation. No one, including God, leads us into temptation. That is ours that we do. And the phrase in this prayer is this. Don't let us be deluded by a surface life, nor become so inward and self-absorbed that we can't act simply and humanly at the right time. This is a call to pay attention to what matters, to be focused on this now so that we might indeed have life. Finally, the last line in this one is, line is the king, the power and the glory forever and ever. And this line only appears in Matthew's gospel as a call to remember that God is the one indeed who is the one who is the source of life, and to remind us that we're part of that creation. When you go to a football game and you see John 3:16, God so loved the world, 
Indeed, that is true in this phrase, God so loved the world, the land, regardless of gender, age, race, stage, color. And we are trapped in that moment to remember God loves all of it in that diversity. We are trapped in that very moment of letting go and trusting that all is beloved by God. And the final word in that prayer is amen, which simply means so be it. So this prayer, whether you hear it like it was sung or read about it in a book, and I hope it expands your understanding of the fact it's not limited. And even when we sing it and we forget it, it may come back just at the right time. So it was for a woman I've told you about who's my hero, my personal hero, and her name's Barbara Winters. Do you know that name? Barbara Winters, uh, in, on October 22nd, 2014 was a lawyer on her way to work walking in Ottawa and she was walking uh, downtown past the Canadian War Memorial and she stopped and turned to take a picture and just as she turned to take a picture of the War Memorial and the soldiers were there, guns began to shoot and everybody scattered and she started to run one way and then she stopped and she went back because someone had hit Nathan Sorello a 24-year-old who was standing on guard at the memorial. She said that she bent down and she grabbed his head and put his head in her hands and she looked at him and brushed his hair as she said to him, you are so brave, you're going to be okay, or you are loved. And then she looked down and saw his wedding ring and said, you've been a wonderful father. And she looked at his uniform and said, you've been a great service to your country. And in this moment, she suddenly recited the Lord's Prayer. And in an interview after, she said to the community, she said, I'm not even a religious person, but for whatever reason, that prayer came to me at that moment as Nathan and Dee died. And in the interview, she said, everyone at their dying needs to be reminded that they are loved. And that prayer came to me as a reminder that Nathan was loved. Now that story and her ability to speak those words at that time is a huge gift. And I believe that we learn these rituals that we say and sing so that we might recite them to another should that happen to us at that opportune time. But I would want to say to Barbara Winters, we need to be reminded when we're dying that we are loved and that we are brave. But we also need to be reminded that we are loved and braved in this life. And so today I want you to know that I believe God sings or says those words to you you are brave, you are loved, and you are cherished. And may those words be lived in your body and mine. Thanks be to God for these ancient words that remind us of God's wide and expansive love for everyone. Amen. So be it. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.